Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is good to see you this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, Joshua 4, Joshua chapter 4. Joshua is the sixth book in your Bible. If you begin from the left, sixth book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five, and then Joshua is the sixth one. Just got back yesterday from hanging out with the guys at the guys' camp out. Man, we had such a great time. It was, it was so good. Yes, we used sticks for toothbrushes. Yes, we used pine cones for toilet paper. And yes, it was great. And so if you missed it, hopefully you can come next time. It was a great, it was a great time there. And interestingly, the theme of the weekend was mentoring, godly mentoring, um, what a mentor is, and really each Christian, and in this case it was a man, each Christian man should not only have a mentor helping them kind of know how to live life, but they should be one um, helping someone else uh, learn how to live life. And so that, it, was, it was a great time, and interestingly, in God's infinite sovereignty, that is the topic for today. I'm teaching this little short four-week sermon series entitled Never Forget, and it really is as much about remembering as it is about not forgetting, because God tells us that we should remember the works of the Lord, that we can consider His benefits, like, like mull over, consider, like, like think of the nuances of the benefits that God has done in our lives. Psalms uses the word muse to play over and over in our mind the great works of the Lord, the, the work that God has done in our lives. And so that's kind of the theme of this thing. Have you ever seen that, that uh, movie, the Disney Pixar movie, Finding Nemo? And uh, one of the characters in that movie is Dory, and she has short-term memory loss. Remember that, that character? Now, if, you are, if you're like a teenager, for sure you've seen it when you were a kid. If you're a parent, you've seen it uh, probably about 15 times. Uh, and if you're a grandparent, maybe they brought it over to your house. But what Disney Pixar did was they made another movie, of course, that's what they do, and they made an entire movie based on this character alone. And it's possible that you haven't seen that movie, so I want to introduce you to this Dory in, uh, in the new movie, Finding Dory. I want you to introduce you to her personality, because it's the personality that um, we're going to talk a little bit about today. Oh, oh, sorry! I didn't see you, sir! Are, are you okay? He's gone. There, there. No, he's gone. It's all right. He's gone. It'll be okay. No, no, they took him away. I, I have to find the boat. A boat? Hey, I've seen a boat. You have? Uh-huh, and it passed by not too long ago. A white one? Hi, I'm Dory. Where? Which way? Oh, 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 it, it went, um, this way. Yeah, it went this way. Follow me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. No problem. Trying to swim here. What, the ocean isn't big enough for you or something like that? Huh? You got a problem, buddy? Huh? 
Do you? Do you? Do you? Want a piece of me? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I'm scared now. What? Wait a minute. Stop following me, okay? What are you talking about? You're showing me which way the boat went. A boat? Hey, I've seen a boat. It passed by not too long ago. It, it went, um, this way. It went this way. Follow me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What is going on? You already told me which way the boat was going. I did? Oh, uh, no. If this is some kind of practical joke, it's not funny. And I know funny. I'm a clownfish. No, it's not. I know it's not. I'm, I'm so sorry. See, I, I suffer from short-term memory loss. Short-term memory loss. I don't believe this. No, it's true. I forget things almost instantly. It runs in my family. Well, I mean, at least I think it does. Um, hmm. Where are they? Can I help you? Something's wrong with you. Really. You're wasting my time. I have to find my son. Some of you know a Dory, don't you? And it is kind of weird. I've even noticed that about myself. Maybe I have short-term memory loss, too. Because I've noticed that I can remember things that happened, like, years ago. And I can't remember something that happened, like, ten minutes ago. I can remember the name of my first-grade teacher. But I can't remember the name of someone I met before a worship service. I'm going to have to ask them their name after that worship service too. So maybe I have a little bit of this too. Well, the title for today is The Unintended Consequences of Forgetting. The Unintended Consequences of Forgetting the Great Works of the Lord. The Unintended Consequences of Not Musing on God's work in our lives. There are consequences to forgetting everything, consequences to forgetting your keys, at, at, uh, at home, forgetting where they are, at least, forgetting where you put them, because then you rummage around the house blaming everybody inside for stealing your keys, and you look everywhere possible, and now you're running late for work, and then your wife is holding them in front of your face, and you, where did you hide them? And it ended up being, obviously, in the last place you left them, and you already looked in that one place four times, but she's the one that found them for you. So, you know, uh, so there's some unintended consequences of losing your keys, like you feeling dumb. Uh, there's some consequences of leaving your wallet at home, forgetting your wallet at home. Uh, you get pulled over, now you get cited for not having a license, your coworkers have to buy you lunch. Like, there's some consequences to forgetting things. You forget to pay your electric bill, your coffee maker doesn't work. Your garage door doesn't go up and down anymore. The, the light in your bathroom doesn't work. It's kind of hard to go to the bathroom when there's no lights in there. And so there are some consequences to forgetting everything, but there are also some very serious consequences to not passing on what you know to your kids, for not passing on what we know to the next generation and James Dobson, I mean, are you familiar with James Dobson? James Dobson is a, I call him like the godfather of child raising, you know. <laughs> he has written many books on child raising. I was raised on James Dobson, and I'm raising my kids on James Dobson. And, um, and he talks a little bit about the, the challenges that it is for parents to pass on what, what they know about the Lord and what they remember, the, the, the works that God has done, to pass them to their kids. And this is the way that, that Dr. James Dobson puts it. He says this, the mission of introducing one's children to the Christian faith can be likened to a three-man relay. First, your father runs his lap around the track, carrying the baton, which represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then, at the appropriate moment, 
he hands the baton to you, and you begin your journey around the track. Finally, the time will come when you must get the baton safely in the hands of your child. And so then, though, he describes the challenge with that. He says, but as any track coach will testify, relay races are won or lost in the transfer of the baton. There is a critical moment when all can be lost by a fumble or miscalculation. And if failure is to occur, it will likely happen in the exchange between generations. That's from his book, Straight Talk. And he is dealing with the, the difficult issue of a parent passing on what they know about the Lord to their kids. And this is a perfect description of what we see in the book of Joshua. So hopefully you found the book of Joshua by now. Joshua is uh, one of the greatest heroes of the Old Testament. You probably already know his name. He's Moses's right-hand man as Moses leads um, Israel out of Egypt. He is, uh, Joshua is his right-hand guy. He is one of the 12 spies that goes in to spy out the promised land. Uh, the first time he came back with, uh, yes, we need to go in. However, the other spies outvoted him. They did not go in, and they wandered around the desert for 40 years. And he was a general in the army as they traveled around that desert for 40 years for the nation of Israel. Finally, Moses dies, and he has the privilege of leading the nation of Israel back into the promised land, crossing the Jordan River, going back into Canaan. And he doesn't just retire then. He then conquers all of the, of the people groups that had moved in that area when Jacob left and it originally went to Egypt. He conquers them and removes them all again and so that the nation of Israel can have that as their promised land. And he divides up the Canaan uh, into uh, to the 12 tribes of, of Israel. So he is an enormous hero of the Old Testament. But I don't know if you've noticed something about most Old Testament heroes. Most Old Testament heroes have a flaw. Most Old Testament heroes fail God late in their life. Have you noticed that? Noah did. Abraham did. David did. Solomon did. Even uh, Joshua's mentor, Moses, he wasn't even allowed to go in the promised land because of a, a late in life failure. But you know what's interesting about Joshua is he's not that. He's one of the unique exceptions where, as far as we know, he didn't have a late-in-life failure. And I think I know why. I think it's because of the events that we're going to read in Joshua 4. So let's read this, Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Okay, so here's what's happening. They've, they, they went to the promised land the first time. They sent spies in, and they were intimidated by what was in there, and so they decided not to go, and they've been wandering the desert for 40 years. God has been providing for them, but they've been wandering the desert for 40 years. And now Joshua is leading them back across the Jordan River, and they have already sent in spies again. Rahab has helped them, and they're about to take their first city. That's where we are. Verse 2. This is what God says to Joshua. It says, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan River, 
from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them, meaning the rocks, over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you're going to lodge tonight. God has a plan. You don't know what it is yet. Let's keep reading. Verse 4, so Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross again to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan River, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the sons of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel. Let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. So God wanted them to take stones out of the Jordan River and to carry them and to put those stones in a pile that is going to be an altar, and this is going to be an altar not only of worship to God for that like moment, That is now going to be an altar remembering all that God has done for Israel like up to this point. Sounds familiar to you, right? I mean, a couple weeks ago we talked about these altars. A lot of men in the Old Testament, God had them build altars. Noah did. Abraham did. Jacob did. Here Here we have Joshua building an altar. And it's not just about this one moment. It's for something else. God says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have kids, and you're going to bring your kids back to this spot, and they're going to say, well, what's this pile of rocks for? And you're going to say, oh, you would not believe what God did for us. And you're going to recount all the things that God did. He led our family out of Egypt and crossed the, the Red Sea. The water stopped, and then we wandered around in the desert. God provided food for us out of the sky. He even crossed the, the Jordan River into Atlantic. It was amazing. The faithfulness of God have been amazing to us. And then... When you have grandkids, you're going to bring your grandkids on vacation back to this pile of rocks. And the kids are going to say, hey, what's this, Grandpa? You would not believe what God did for us. You're going to recount how God led your family out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, and God parting the waters, and and God providing in in the desert. You would not believe the faithfulness of God. That was the pile, the purpose of the pile of these rocks, not for the one moment of worship, but for the generational remembrance of all that God had done for the nation of Israel. That was the plan. And so moving your Bibles now to Joshua 24. Joshua chapter 24. We're going to fast forward through Joshua's life, and Joshua does conquer Canaan, of course. And now we have, we have fast forwarded to the end of Joshua's life. He's now 110 years old, doesn't have long to live. And so he gathers all of the nation of Israel. We're talking like a million people. He gathers a million people together for one last message. One last thing that he wanted to say. And so as this massive crowd is standing out in front of him to listen to to what this elder respected statesman who has not failed the Lord, by the way, what he has to say. And that's Joshua 24. And you know what Joshua does in Joshua 24? He recounts all the faithfulness of God. He does not forget it. 
He recounts all of the difficulties that God brought them through. He recounts various battles where God provided for them. We're not going to read the entire thing, but let's just look a little bit of how Joshua remembers the faithfulness of God. Verse 3 of Joshua 24. It says, Then I took your father, this is kind of God speaking um, through, uh, uh, through Joshua. Joshua did this too. He, he and God worked together. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through the land of Canaan and multiplied the descendants and gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But to Jacob and his sons, they went down to Egypt. And then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in their midst, and afterwards I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt." And you came to the sea, and Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness for a long, long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. That's, that's what Joshua does. That's what this entire chapter is about. Look at what, how faithful God has been, this battle and that thing. And the reason that I don't think at 110 years old he hasn't forgotten that because he made a lot of trips back to that pile of rocks. Because that was the, the, the place of memory, the place of recounting God's faithfulness. And then he gets to verse 13 in Joshua 24. He says, I gave you the land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you have lived in them, and you are eating vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, verse 14, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. He says, not only did I give you this land, the houses that you are living in, you didn't build, but they're yours. The, 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 the olives that you were eating for lunch, you didn't plant those trees, but they are yours because I gave them to you. You are playing on someone else's PlayStation 4. It's, you didn't buy it. It's someone else's. You are watching someone else's Netflix account right now. And they might ban you now because you're watching it. You're logged on to someone else's account. You didn't buy it. I gave it to you. The, the wonderful faithfulness of God. The vineyards, the, the grapes, the wine that you're drinking. You didn't plant those vines. I've provided it for you. God is faithful. That's this chapter. God is enormously faithful. And so verse 14 is, well, then why don't, you, why don't you follow him? Verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He's saying is, hey, your family might have taught you something about religiosity. And the problem is, is when they were living in Egypt, they began to worship the Egyptian gods, little g, the, the, the weird little gods that they worshiped in Egypt. And they'd kind of picked up some of that. And Joshua's saying, get rid of everything that your parents worshiped. Get rid of it all. Those gods haven't been faithful at all. God has been faithful. 
You know, it's important to remember those things because it's easy to forget those things. And that's what the pile of rocks was there to do is to remember the faithfulness of the Lord in all of these areas, not just one, but all of them. And so then he gets to one final word of advice, probably the most famous saying of Joshua. In verse 15, it says, If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, that means back in Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, Joshua knows that he can't make anybody do anything. (laughs) He can't make them love the Lord. He can't make them serve the Lord, but they do need to choose. They need to pick something. Now, you could pick the the, the gods of your grandpa, because he lived in Egypt, and you know, well, uh, you can do it the same way that your grandpa did it. You can worship the gods of this area, the Amorites, that was the, the land that they were living in, was, used to be the Amorites, and now it's theirs. They're living in the Amorites' condos, and so they kicked the Amorites out, but they left behind all the religious trinkets, and so you could, you could worship the gods of the Amorites. They're probably sitting in the homes that they moved into, and so you can serve the gods of your grandpa back in Egypt. You can serve the gods of the people that, that were removed here. You can serve them, or you could serve the Lord. And he says, as for me and mine, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, God can, or, or, or Joshua can't even make his kids really serve the Lord, but he just knew that of any place that, and of any influence that he had, it was going to be with his own family. It was going to be with his own kids. And in his mind... He's going to have enough influence so that his kids were willing to follow the Lord. Notice the the response, the unanimous response in verse 16. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Yeah, that's like the obvious answer, you know. When you remember how great God is, it's kind of like impossible not to worship Him, you know. When you remember how great God has provided when you do muse on his work in your life, when you do consider his benefits, it's hard not to serve him after that. And so that was it. I mean, that's an obvious response. Verse 17, for the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight. They're just like repeating everything that Joshua has already said to them and preserved us Uh, through all the way which we went and among the peoples through whose midst we passed, the Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We will also serve the Lord for He is our God. Well, that's actually the answer that Joshua was hoping for. He was hoping that everyone, the entire generation would say, yes, look at how great God is. Look at how wonderful God is. He has provided for us. Look at how faithful He is. So why don't we serve the Lord? And they're all behind it. And now what? they're supposed to bring their kids and their grandkids back to this pile of rocks to make sure that they always remember. Because, you know, I mean, when it happened to your parents, it's easy to dismiss it, you know. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's old stuff, you know. Right, the grandparents, I mean, that, that doesn't even matter to me. And so... God and Joshua wanted to make sure that even the kids and the grandkids would remember all of these faithful things of this generation that they all experienced. He wanted their kids to remember those things 
2. Now let's fast forward a little bit further, moving your Bibles to Judges chapter 2. Don't freak out, that's just two pages to your right. That's it. Two pages to your right. Judges chapter 2. In Judges 2, Joshua dies. Judges 2, verse 8. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the ter- territory of his inheritance in timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Verse 10, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. What does that mean? They all died. Not like one massive die-off, but just that generation died off. That's just a, a, a beautiful, flowery way of saying that that generation, that Jacob's generation, they all died off. Keep reading in verse 10. And there arose another generation after them, the next generation, who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the fake gods. What in the world happened? In one generation, why, why in the world are, are now the very next generation... It says they don't even know what God has done for Israel. What happened? There was something happened in the passing of that baton. There was a fumble somewhere along the way. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly what the fumble is, but notice it says that they did not know the Lord and they didn't know the work which He had done for Israel. So what does that mean that the parents didn't do? Remember this pile of rocks that they were to gather from the Jordan and they were to pile it all up and and they were supposed to bring their kids and their grandkids and tell them about how great God is and all the things that he did. So what does that mean that the parents never did for their kids? They, They never took them on vacation to the pile of rocks. I mean, it's, it's not surprising. You know, I mean, they, they were living in the promised land. It was so good. And, you know, they just got busy with life. You know, that's school and homework and, and, and uh, games and you got to get to prime time on Wednesday night and we got to, you know, we, gotta, we have things to do with the family on the weekend. And they just got busy. Things were so good for them that they just couldn't fathom in their mind why helping their kids remember what had happened to them and remember the faithfulness of the Lord, they couldn't fathom in their mind why that really mattered because things were so good. They, they, they were living the life that they had, they had lived such a difficult life in their past. Wandering through 40 years of the desert, and, and, and now things are just so good. I don't want to remember that old stuff. I don't want to think about that old stuff. I, I'm happy with the life that I'm living now. Maybe that rings true for some of you. I mean, sometimes that's the way it is for Christians too. We come from diff, such difficult situations, such hard places. We, never, we don't want to remember it. We don't want to think about it. We certainly don't want to tell our kids about it. 
But the problem is that when we don't tell our kids about the faithfulness of the Lord in our life and that He saved us from these things, how will they ever know? I mean, those parents like didn't, they, they did not take them to this place on purpose. They didn't help their kids remember who the Lord was and remember the great work of God. They, it's not like they did it on purpose. They didn't like strategize, oh man, we are never going back to that pile of rocks. They didn't do that. It was just life got busy for them and they just moved on with life. And yet it says here that they did not know the Lord. They were not saved. They didn't even know what God had done for Israel. And it says that the sons of Israel, that next generation, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And now they're worshiping other gods again, just one generation later. You know, there are some unintended consequences to forgetting who the Lord is. Those parents didn't do that on purpose. They didn't forget the Lord. They didn't forget to take their kids back to that pile of rocks on purpose. They just kind of forgot. And there were some unintended consequences that severely affected their kids. Now, this doesn't come as a surprise. This happens often. In the New Testament, it also talks about the same issue. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it says, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, so that we don't drift away from it. Well, So what was the reason that they were to pay closer attention to the, what they've heard, the revelation of Jesus or the gospel. Why did they need to pay closer attention to the gospel? What, why did they do that here? So they don't just away from it. So why would maybe we need to pay close attention to the revelation of Christ, to God's word? So that we don't drift away from it. What happened to this gener- these kids? Uh, what happened to them? They fell away. Why? Because they didn't pay attention to what God had done in their family's life. They didn't bring their kids back to those stones of remembrance of God's faithfulness in their lives, and those kids had no clue. Those kids had no clue about Egypt, had no clue about the Red Sea, had no clue about the manna being provided in the desert, no clue. They, they weren't even jokes. They had they, they, nothing. They... they Their parents didn't pass on any of it to them at all. And so in only one generation, boom, all gone. In just one generation, remember everybody, the entire, all million people said, we're going to serve the Lord. But just one generation together, all gone. What happened? Well, there was something wrong with the passing of the baton. Our, their culture is the same as our culture. It, it is definitely a dory culture, you know, where <laughs> this sparkly thing and then that sparkly thing and then that sparkly thing and we forget about the first sparkly thing and they forgot. And you know, as I read stories like this and I read passages like this, I can't help but begin to apply, think about this, how, think about this. I, would, I don't want this to happen to my kids. I mean, I, I have the same desires for my kids as Joshua had. 
I hope they serve the Lord forever. I hope they do greater things than I ever thought of doing for the Lord. That's my hope. Joshua hoped the same thing. All those parents thought, hoped the same thing for their kids. So what is it? What, what did they miss? And I begin to apply like, okay, what could I do? <laughs> what could I do in my own family so that, so that that doesn't happen to me, so that that doesn't happen to my kids? And so I have three, <laughs> three things. First, put your faith in God. Put your own faith in God. You know, Joshua spent 50 years in Egypt even before he left Egypt. You know, so all the, all the gods of Egypt, he was familiar with them. There were a lot of gods that he could have worshipped, but he and the rest of all of Israel knew that the one true God was the one true God. They weren't confused about that. But their kids didn't know it. So first, put your own faith in God. There's a lot of things in our culture that you can worship, you know. There's a lot of things that are, are, are worshipped in our culture, and your kids will remember you for whatever you find as a priority. You know, there are some people that worship their career, and at their funerals, their kids talk all about how he, that, that person in the casket was such a hard worker and loved his job. There are some people who worship their job. There are some people who worship sports. They like to play sports. They like to watch sports. And that's what their kids remember about their parent is their love for sports. There's some people who love their RV. Now, there's nothing wrong with RVs. I'm a tent camper, and I'm a little jealous of those RVers. We were up camping in the mountains with the guys, and the first night the temperatures dropped into the 30s. In a tent, that's cold. And so I'm in my tent. It was the best sleep I had in a long time, though. I love to sleep in the mountains. I love to sleep in a tent. I love to sleep on the ground. But still, it's all night long. Love it, but it's cold. And so you see the RV, like just the Hilton on wheels. You can hear the heater kick on. Like, oh, man, I wish I... So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with an RV. But there's some people who worship the RV. There's some people who, who worship the idea of doing nothing. I've I, I worked since I was 14 years old, and I just cannot wait until I can do nothing. And, they, and their kids know it. Their kids know that that is the goal, that, that is the, there's a countdown timer at home of when they can do nothing, when their parent can do nothing. That, and that, their kids know that their parent is on a countdown to nothing. They're looking forward to that. And they're worshiping doing nothing. There are some people who are just the opposite of that. They worship always being busy, always being active, never having downtime at all. And they're proud of it. That's what they talk about. And that's what you know about them. That's what the kids remember about them, always being busy. And there's nothing wrong with having a career. You have to provide for your home. There's nothing wrong with an RV. Someday I may get there. Um, there may be a, there, there's nothing wrong with doing nothing every once in a while. There's nothing wrong with being busy, but but at some point in time, you have to pick your God. What are your kids going to know you for? You have to pick. Now, Joshua picked the Lord, but that is the first step. If you want your children to love the Lord, then you need to put your faith in the Lord first. 
It, it can't be like, yeah, you know, I'm not really interested in the whole religious thing, but my kids really need it, and so I bring my kids here. My kids need this stuff, but this really isn't for me. Your kids are going to be so far <laughs> off. It, none of this will stick. Step one, you put your faith in the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus is God and he died on the cross for sins. The Bible says that Jesus is the just dying for the unjust, meaning the the justified, the perfect, dying for the unjustified or imperfect. Well, I'm not perfect. You might at least admit to yourself that you're not perfect. And so Jesus, the perfect one, God in heaven came to earth, dies on the cross, not for himself. He doesn't need it. You can go back to heaven anytime he wants. But he dies on the cross for the unjustified, the imperfect. And so the Bible says that anyone who believes in that Savior will have eternal life. They will not perish in hell, but they will have eternal life in heaven. And so that is the first step. You want to be a good parent? First step. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It will make you the best parent that you could be. A parent following the Lord is the best parent that a child could ever have. That's the way God designed it, to have two Christian parents. That's the, that's, that's the, the perfect design. So first, put your own faith in God. Now, second, the second thing to do is to pass on your faith to your kids. And that, that's, a, that's the phase where I am in. Passing on my faith to to my kids. That's the, that is where the challenge is. How do we pass it on to our, our kids? And when I say our kids, I don't, I'm not like talking like the next generation. Oh, yes, we need the next generation to be stronger. No, no, no. I'm talking about your kids or your grandkids. Now let's p- apply this personally before we apply it to some nebulous group of people. Don't you want your kids to have faith in the Lord? I mean, even if they're out of the house, don't you want your kids to, to love the Lord? Don't you want that? I would suspect that you do because you're sitting here today. And so the goal is, is to, to pass it on. When it's a passion for you, your kids are going to see it in you, and you're going to want your kids to have it, have it too. You know, that's why, that's why Noah was an amazing evangelist. This is a little plug for Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights, during primetime, we're studying Genesis verse by verse. It's only for an hour, so it's not a killer. But, but this last week, we, we studied Noah. And Noah, for 120 years, he preached the message of salvation to an entire unbelieving world. And the message is, destruction is coming, get on the boat. Destruction is coming, be saved on the boat. That was his message, 120 years. And after 120 years of preaching that, the only people to listen to him are his wife and his kids. That's it. In-law kids, sons and their wives. And you think, he's not a very good evangelist. He's, that's a pretty low batting average. You know, billion people on planet Earth, whatever it was at that time, two billion. And 
Do you, he only convinced seven to get on the boat? No, no, no. He is the best evangelist there is. Because there was something in his life that, that his family knew that it was true. I mean, I want my wife and I want my kids to be in heaven. Don't you want your spouse and your kids to be in heaven? I mean, that's where this starts. I mean, you might be thinking, hey, I want to pass this to other kids and other people. Okay, great. Well, let's first start with our own. That's what Psalm 78, 7 says. This is where I got the title for this sermon series, by the way, is this verse. It says, tell your children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God and keep His commandments. Don't forget. Now, how in the world is a kid going to not forget the work of God? By their parents saying, hey, let's go on vacation to this pile of rocks. God is amazing. Look at what He did. That's how they're going to know is by their parent helping them remember. That's how they're going to know. And so this verse is, hey, do the best that you can in helping your kids know that that God is the source of all the good that we have. And so first, put your own faith in the Lord. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That'll make you the best parent ever. And, and then, probably, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you'll have this like, internal desire to want to pass this baton on. It's very common. I mean, if it's important to you, if it saved your life, you want your kids' lives to be saved as well. And so you're going to pass that on to your kids. Finally, then, we have to model that faith. passing it on to our kids is like half of the, you know, half of the baton step. My daughter Noelle runs track and she ran in a relay. And so there's the, there's the, there's the slapping in the hand part. And then there's the taking it part. And so first, yes, pass it on to your kids. We want our kids to, to know the Lord, don't we? Sure. I do, but it can't stop there, (laughs) because if that's where it stops, then our kids are like, okay, this is a do as I say, not as I do proposition. So then it's we have to model it as parents, and this is the hard part of this, living this, because kids are really good at picking up on, um, oh, that's, they, 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 they say that, but they don't do that. Kids are really good at that, you know? <laughs> and so, if you can remember back to your childhood, I bet that you don't necessarily remember all the peaks and valleys in your family's life, you know? I, most of it is just kind of a wash. I'm sure you remember a few very specific highs and a few very specific lows. But other than that, most peaks and valleys, and in fact, most kids will just kind of forget those over time. But you know what they'll remember about you? They'll remember what you were passionate about. They'll remember what was important to you. They'll remember if it was the Lord or if it was retirement. They'll remember that. And so a a Christian parent, we have to to model what we are saying. If it's the Lord, then our life has to be it. If we say it's the Lord, but we're we're worshiping the the RV, and we're always in the RV, and we're never at church, the kids are going to notice that too. Kids are so good at 
picking up the little stuff. <laughs> you wish they'd pick up the big stuff. <laughs> no, no, they pick up the little things in, in what we model. And my goal isn't to make you feel guilty. I've already made myself feel guilty as I prepared for this. The goal is just to remember that not only is it wanting it for our children, but it is living it our, ourselves. Interestingly, it's relatively common that children of Christians that are spiritually inconsistent, those children grow up to be spiritually inconsistent. Unintended consequences. I mean, there's not, a, there's not a person in here today that wants their kid to grow up spiritually inconsistent. Not a single one. But often, it is the inconsistency of the parents, spiritually, in their Christian life, that then breeds inconsistency in their kids, unintended consequences of forgetting the great work of the Lord, of forgetting to pass it on to your kids. And they're the ones that really pay the price of our own forgetfulness in these areas. Now, there are some of us in here who are that next generation. If you're a junior high student, high school student, if you're in college or young adult, you're like this next generation. You're like this, this, judges, this judges generation. You are the next generation. And I can tell you, if you're in here today, junior high, high school, college, young adult, if you're in here today, it's because your parents want to pass on their faith to you. Your parents want you to be a stronger Christian than they ever were. They want you to do more things for Jesus than they ever did for Jesus. They want you to memorize more Bible verses than they memorized. They, they want you to, to grow deeper roots than, than they ever did. That's why you're here. They, they, they're trying to pass the baton to you. They, they are trying to teach you what they love and know. That's why you're here. But just as Joshua says, they can't force you. They can't force you to do anything. If you're in junior high or high school or college age or young adult, there's going to come a time where you have to make your own choice. You have to decide, am I going to put my faith in Jesus or not? Am I going to make my parents' faith, and am I going to take that baton and I'm, am I going to run with it? Am I going to put my faith in Jesus or not? You have to come to that decision. It's a, it's a decision that your parents want to make for you, and if they could, they already would have, but they can't. And so you're going to need to choose. You need to choose. Are you going to love the Lord, put your faith in Jesus Christ, or not? You need to decide that. You're the one that needs to decide if you're going to get baptized or not. If you're in junior high, high school, college age, young adult, you need to be the one to decide if you're going to get baptized or not. You decide. Now, maybe you got baptized when you were like six because you wanted your other friends were doing it or you want to please your Sunday school teacher or whatever. And you know in your mind that you got saved. You really were convinced of the gospel when you were, I don't know, 13 or 14. Well, your next step is baptism. And We'd love to baptize you, but that's a decision that you need to make. Your parents can't make that decision for you. At some point in time, you're going to need to decide. If you're in junior high, high school, college age, young adult, 
you're going to need to decide that once you graduate from high school, if you're going to continue going to church or not. Your parents can't force you. You're going to need to decide once you graduate from college if you're going to continue to go to church or not. You're going you're to need to decide if you're going to serve in ministry or if you're not. You need to decide these things. Your parents w- want the best for you. They're, they're trying to teach you what they know. They are not perfect examples. They're doing their best, I, I assume. But you're going to need to be the one to make the, those decisions for yourself. If you're junior high, high school, college age, young adult, you're going to need to decide if you're going to date and marry someone who's a Christian or not. When I say a Christian, I mean not like someone who says they're a Christian. I mean like someone who loves Jesus more than you. They'd rather spend time at church than, than with you. They read their Bible before they text you in the morning. Like, they really love Jesus. And your parents would love to pick your spouse for you. <laughs> but they can't. And so you're going to need to come to that decision all on your own. You have to choose. Are you going to serve the Lord of your parents? Or are you going to serve your own Lord of your career or whatever it is? You need to decide. You're going to need to decide. Are you going to read your Bible in the morning or not? Maybe even your parents don't model that for you. They wish they they want to. They want to read their Bible every single morning, but maybe they don't. But if you're in junior high, high school, college age, young adult, you're going to need to make that decision for yourself. That's up to you. And this generation, this generation that in Judges, they knew so little about who God was that the, the, the culture that they kind of just had made for themselves just swept them away from the things of God. It's kind of a crazy idea. And so your parents, if you're in here today, at least have passed the baton and now you're in that, the, the passing stage where you can take the baton and your parents are going to have to let go at some point in time even if they're helicopter parents, they're still going to still have to drop it at some point in time. And you need to decide if you're going to pick that, up that thing or not. And Joshua's desperate hope was that this next generation would not um, go down the tubes spiritually. And I can tell you, your parents desperately hope that you take the faith that, that they've attempted to pass on to you. And they hope that you'll do something way more with it than they ever did. but you need to decide. You need to choose. Now, the reason that I can remember my first grade teacher's name, which was Mrs. Morgan, by the way. I think I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. The reason that I can remember my first grade teacher's name, and it's hard for me to remember someone who I meet at the beginning of the worship service because guaranteed I'm going to have to ask you afterwards again and probably another 47 times before I remember it, The reason that I can remember Mrs. Morgan's name is because of the amount of time that I spent with her. You know, when you're in the first grade, you spend, I don't know, what, like six hours, something like that, with your teacher. But Mrs. Morgan, she she lived on the block right next to our block. She lived on the street right over from us. And there were some times where my parents would drop me off and she would drive me to school. I mean, that's like child abuse or something. (laughs) 
You have to ride in the car with your teacher, and then she teaches you all. That is brutal. But that's why I remember Mrs. Morgan. It wasn't only that in the first grade. First grade is where I first started getting disciplined in school. I got spanked in school. I think I've mentioned that. I got spanked. I'm not that old. Like, this it isn't like Dark Ages stuff. But when I went to school in the first grade, Mrs. Morgan and the principal spanked me. It was dumb. It was dumb. We, you know, we had those little desks. It's, the de- it's all one desk where the desk is here, you sit here, and it's all connected and your books go down here. You know, those kind of desks. My friend sitting next to me, drop, I dropped crayons here in the middle. And so I get down on this side and he's on this side. And while Mrs. Morgan is up here teaching, we start having Battle Dome 2000 and start flinging, flinging crayons in, you know, in between the desk. That's worthy of a spanking. Though, now you know why I remember Mrs. Morgan. And that's why I don't necessarily remember your name the first time. It's because I only see you for an hour. And, and we don't commute together. And there's no corporal punishment going on between us. And so that's why I might not remember your name, but I remember Mrs. Morgan. And the point in all of this is that we parents, when our kids are in the home, we have the time. That's the time. If anybody is going to speak into our kids' lives, it's going to be us. If anybody has influence in what our kids remember, it's going to be us. Because we have the time. We won't always have the time. But when our kids are in the home, we do have the time. And, and the goal is, the hope is, that, that our kids will will remember God's work in our family just as easily as I remember Mrs. Morgan's name because we have passed it on to our kids. That's the goal. Now, I realize that there are many in here who don't have kids in the home anymore. And, and you're a grandparent or great-grandparent But that doesn't mean this modeling part ends. Even if your kids have moved out and they aren't living for the Lord, you can still model what a Christian life is like. You pray for them. Pray for your kids. If your kids are out of the house and they aren't saved, you pray for them every day. Pray for their salvation. Don't pray that they moral up. Moral up does nothing for them. Pray that they get saved, that they hear the gospel and they put their faith in Jesus and Jesus removes their sins. That's what what they need. And so pray for them. But you can continue to model a Christian life all the time so that when they do put their faith in Jesus, they'll know exactly what a Christian life is like to to live. I mean, if you're grandparents, just be the free babysitter and so that then you could pass on what you know about Jesus to your grandkids. You might be the ones that would influence your grandchild. Maybe it won't be their parents. But there might be one or two in here today that are still stuck on that first one. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, today could be the day. It'll change your parenting. Jesus' death on the cross can wash away your sins and it'll change who you are. The Holy Spirit, the third person of Trinity, will come and live inside of you 
and he will help you to live a life honoring to God. And so if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let's make today that day. Uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus for the very first time. So I'm going to ask all of you, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes? This creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. And in the quietness of this moment, this is the day where you could find salvation. If you know that you've sinned and you know that you want to go to heaven when you die, you just talk to God, it's called prayer, and you could say this to him, God, I know that I've sinned and I know I need a savior. I know I need to, to get, on the, get on the boat. And I believe that Jesus is that savior. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he died on the cross and I believe that he rose from the grave. And I put my faith, my belief in this Jesus. Well, God, I thank you for what you've taught us today. I thank you for your provision uh, for us personally, your faithfulness to us in our lives and in our church. Um, but God, I pray for our kids. I pray that the kids of the families in this church, that they would put their faith and trust in your son. I pray that you'd save them. I pray that they'd make that decision early in their life. I pray that they, that they would stand on our shoulders spiritually that they could do much greater things because of your power in their life, because of their deep roots in you. And as much as we want that, that really is a work in, in their life that you will do. So God, we lift these things up to you. We pray for these things in Jesus' name, amen.